Let me ask you a question, Kane. How happy is Katie Vick? Yeah, that's right. I know, Kane. I know it all. Ten years ago, you killed her. That's right, Kane. You are a murderer. You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. of the Pod Mania podcast, another retro pay-per-view review. I'm joined by Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm fine. I'm ill. You're ill today? Why are you ill today? Oh, I've been, I've been ill all week. My brother gave me a fucking cold. It's ke- turning into chemical warfare. It's turning into chemical warfare. Are you sure that this isn't just the hangover you've been suffering from all week? <sighs> I'm not, not being funny. <laughs> so I, I got really drunk on Friday. Woke up um, with a plait in my hair. In someone else's house. And... I thought you were going to say then, I woke up with a plait in my hair in someone else's hair. Like someone had plaited your hair <laughs> No, I woke, I, woke, I woke up not knowing where my clothes are in someone else's house. And considering that's the case, it could have went a lot worse. But um... It doesn't sound great if you isolate <laughs> that bit. No, but like I woke up with a plait on my hair and I was like, okay, someone must have mashed me while I was sleeping or something. Um, then I look at my phone. I took fucking selfies of the plait and I'm like, okay. So like I obviously volunteered and it turned out someone bought me a drink and and I said, okay, you can do what you want with my hair for buying me that drink. So <laughs> Was this a stipulation before they bought you the drink or once, they, or once someone buys you a drink, you're just an easy date? Is, is... I, did, I, I did specify that I don't remember, right? <laughs> I'm I'm slightly concerned for your night out. I'm not going to lie, Chris. It, it was a family party, so. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we are without Garth today. Unfortunately, we are just the twosome, just as it was Chris and Garth last week. How was it without me, guys? Um, it was fun, guys. Guys, he's not here. I'm missing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so used to um, seeing guys and putting it out to the floor. Um, it it was fine. Um, me and Garth have. Quite similar opinions on video games. Not on Oasis, though. We we argue every time Oasis is brought up, which is weird because we're both massive fans. I can't understand how Oasis got brought up in a top ten list of wrestling games. Oh, this was before and after. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Because he had that big gig coming up, didn't he? Of course he did, of course he did. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, of course, you can check out our top ten lists on the website, www.podmania.co.uk, along with our retro pay-per-view reviews, which transitions wonderfully. <laughs> See what I'm 
Honestly, my transitions are getting... Oh, I've got a fantastic one for later. Um, you should you should really stop pointing them out. I really should, yeah. <laughs> They're only good when I don't talk about how good they are. Um, so we have got our retro pay-per-view review for this week. Now, again, we put it out to the Twitterverse, and the I can't remember the third choice. There was No Way Out 2002, um, No Mercy 2002, No Way Out 2001, and then I can't was quite... It was Gaff's choice. It was One Night Stand. One night stand, of course, and quite overwhelmingly, the victor of this week was No Mercy 2002. So that's what we're going to review today. It comes at an interesting time in the WWE's uh, in the WWE's canon. If I'm quite an up honest. and down of quality, a lot of down. Yeah. Um, we both watched supplemental material going into this, didn't we? We did. Yes. Um, you watched a lot of Raw going I watched- into this. I watched two weeks of Raw and two weeks of SmackDown going into this. Okay. Well, I watched the Unforgiven pay-per-view going into this, and I also watched part of Judgment Day, which was a couple of months prior to this. How was um, that? Unforgiven is a good pay-per-view. Um, there is probably... I'd say it's a fairly missable pay-per-view. Um, there's maybe two matches that are decent. The Brock Lesnar-Undertaker match ends in a double DQ um, when they just... Could- because of course it does. Yeah, exactly. Which is a fairly, a fairly uninspired ending to a mat, to a pay per view. But you know, it was it was okay. Um, but yeah, it's it, Triple it's H RVD there, wasn't it? Again, relatively <laughs> yeah. disappointing. Um, it's at this point, obviously, we are at the beginning of what would be affectionately known as the Reign of Terror by Triple H, where he, we certainly just we're just going to put little shovels, you know on the screen right now for absolutely no reason. Um, but yeah, the burials are starting, and there's prob- there's possibly none worse than this pay-per-view No Mercy 2002. Um, where... I'm, I'm going to argue WrestleMania 19. But... <laughs> yeah, WrestleMania 19 is another one. Obviously, we had Rob Van Dam earlier on, where Rob Van Dam was just never seen as a challenger on the level of Triple H, similar to Booker T at WrestleMania 19. And to a certain extent, it was similar here, though I think Kane was treated with a little bit more in-ring respect than the other two. But I think <laughs> To be fair, of... you tried to take liberties with a seven-foot person. Yeah, well, the fact that he's seven-foot and Triple H is six-foot, God knows how much, I think that certainly worked against them in this yeah. match. Um, but yeah, going... From the start, then, No Mercy 2002 took place on October the 20th, 2002. It was the fifth No Mercy in the chronology, and it is the only pay-per-view as of this day that has ever emanated from Arkansas. This, of course, from the All-Tell Arena in Little Rock, or Arkansas. It's called the Verizon Arena now. Not quite a sellout. Um, Everything I've found says that 10,000 people attended. The Verizon has a capacity of 18,000 but that of course is for sports games so when you when you think about the Titantron the ring and things like that and whatever they had to you know had to board up it could potentially be close to a sell it certainly seemed full on the hard cam yeah, but they're, they're very good at making it look full on the hard cam they are they are they made some of the recent ones look full on the hard cam when we know damn no, well um, they're not the, the NXT UK t- taping I went to the entire one half of um, the arena wasn't sold out, but on the hard cam, of course, it looks like a, ma- a fairly sizable arena. Despite the fact it only holds five thousand on a good day, anyway. 
Of course, of course. But I think I think we can agree that WWE was still riding the wave of, you know, having bought out WCW, now coming off the back of the Invasion and the Invasion pay-per-view, which raked them in serious coin. Um, we, you know, oh, we're riding the wave, aren't we? Um, obviously, we've yeah. just come off the back of the first draft. Um, that hasn't really come into play with the pay-per-views yet. We've still got matches from Raw and matches from SmackDown. What I will say, Chris, before we go into the main storylines of this pay-per-view, and fucking hell, there's some <laughs> doozies on this show. <laughs> what I will say is this show highlights already the better writing on SmackDown than Raw. Oh, absolutely. Like, Raw was an absolute slog to get through with a lot of really problematic things, not even in hindsight. <laughs> HLA is unforgivable. Well, ironically, you say that. That was the main bit of Unforgiven. Um, was, was it? Yes, that's where Stephanie McMahon is uh, forced to take part in HLA. But, oh, swerve, it's not a woman, it's Rikishi. Um, <laughs> and then he stink faces Eric Bishop. It's a, it's a whole big butt thing. Um, it's it's incredibly, incredibly strange. Um, so going into this show, of course, and I was really hoping that it wasn't quite time for this, but it, it is. Um, we, of course, are in the midst of the Katie Vick storyline. So I'm going to go into a little bit of detail for those who don't know about Katie Vick. But of course, if you don't know about Katie Vick, why have you found our podcast? Um, or how have you found our podcast? Um, and... Basically, the start of Triple H is, as I've mentioned before, the reign of terror. So, Katie Vick, Kane, um, has just come back from injury. He's won titles. He won the tag team titles with the Hurricane. And, of course, he's now Intercontinental Champion going into No Mercy. He says he's never been happier. Triple H comes out with his big nose and no shirt and Ric Flair and says that you've never been happier. How happy do you think Katie Vick is? Now... This is all going back to the fact that apparently Kane has killed this person called Katie Vick. Now, my favourite bit of this, Chris, this entire storyline angle, is when uh -huh. Triple H comes out, confronts Kane about this, <laughs> and says, how happy do you think Katie Vick is? And the entire I... Raw arena went, who? <laughs> and not in a new way, way. Just like what? No, not because I was watching. It was after a TLC match um, on Raw Roulette, um, which is both amazing and awful. And <laughs> it ended up in a TLC match um, without the Hurricane for some reason. And it was like Kane, RVD, and Jeff Hardy, Christian and Jericho, and another team. Oh, the Dudleys with Spike and not Devon. Because you know the brand split was awful, and he just came. It just came out of the match. It's like, so how's Katie Vick? I'm like, we just had a pretty kill match, Triple H. And Triple H, can you fuck off back? Because you've already had your blindfold match with Devon tonight. Go away. It's it's a bizarre, bizarre angle, and of course Look, it's added on by Triple H later on. Go on, I'll go on to it later. It's lucky we we, we I didn't get to that point with the because this went on for another show. I think it did. Um, yes. But that we never got that bit no. on when I was watching, so I'm fine. I'm happy. I don't. I never have to see it. I've only seen it in like reviews or whatever. I never have to actually see it. No, we'll we'll sort of talk about that as we get towards the Kane and Triple H match. Um, the other thing on the Raw side is that no matter what tonight, the WWE Intercontinental Championship is going to be dissolved. Now, right on the back of 
the European Championship being dissolved and the Hardcore Championship being dissolved, it's it's not exactly looking good for WWE Raw, one, one singles championship. Um, I think a lot of people... WWE were met with a lot of resistance to dissolving the Intercontinental Championship. I mean, the European and the Hardcore, fair enough. There isn't the history, there isn't the lineage... Um, but the Intercontinental Championship, you look who's held it, Pedro Morales, for example, you know, Chris Jericho, Kane, you know, all these, The Rock, all these people, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, all oh, these people, uh... exactly, all these, you know, titans of the industry have held this championship. And for a while, it was seen as a more prestigious title than the heavyweight title, especially when Hulk Hogan held it, because, you know, <laughs> it was the work... I don't mean prestigious. I mean, it was seen as more the wrestler's title, not more prestigious, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. You, do, you prefer to watch it, yeah. And weird thing is, it felt like a footnote in this match. Like, it wasn't even men- mentioned, really. Like, I heard Katie Vick more than I heard Intercontinental title. Yeah, and yes, the WWE did fantastically in that video package showing the lineage of the Intercontinental Championship. It was a very well put together video package. Oh, it um, was, and it didn't like skirt over like history. But the problem was that should have been playing to the match and not the hype thing, and then go, for some reason go to the fucking cruiserweights. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make sense. That no, not at all. No. We'll sort of go into that as well in a moment. Now, on the SmackDown side, the main storyline going in is that Undertaker can't keep his dick in his pants. Um, (laughs) Apparently, he's had an affair with this mysterious woman called Tracy. Oh, this was on SmackDown. This is great. (laughs) Well, not Um, great. This is off. This is like the worst part of SmackDown. I mean, I watched this and obviously watching it in retrospect, all I heard in my head was Claire Lynch. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I'm I'm glad it was both of us then. Yeah, no, because I was thinking, no, what I was thinking was, if when TNA does this kind of shit, they get, they get shouted at, but like people seem to love 2002 as this weird hidden gem of the golden age. And like, not really. I mean, this is, this would sink any other weekly TV show. You look at the undercard of this show. And I've given my provisional ratings. I know you've seen them. And obviously I've got things to say about every one of these matches this is very very much a two match card and when i say two match card both matches are for smackdown and the world heavyweight championship probably wasn't even the fourth best match on the card no no definitely not (laughs) now that's that's not good now the top three matches for me were all smackdown which goes to show, I mean, it does help when one of those matches included the probably four of the best workers WWE had at the time in Chris, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Edge and Rey Mysterio. <clears throat> but we'll get into that. We're jumping ahead. Should we start at the very beginning, Chris? Yes, we should. It's a very good place to start. Not enough <laughs> Sound of Music references. It is Sound of Music, that, isn't it? Start at the very I beginning. A very good place to start. I don't know if it is. Well, someone will correct me. Anyway, uh, I'm thinking of a Frank Turner song now. Yes, famous for his uh, cameo in Sound of Music. No, no, different. Wait, never mind. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, pre-show match, the Hurricane defeated Stevie Richards in three minutes and five seconds. We then cut to the full pay-per-view, and Undertaker and Kane are in the changing rooms. Undertaker looking very, very sorry for himself. His arm and his cast, obviously, that had been broken a couple of weeks ago by Brock Lesnar. Um, with a propane canister, Undertaker sold it fantastically to the point where it is still last now. If 
Brock Lesnar did it for reals. No, it's just kayfabe. Um, Kane, of course, comes to sit down, talks to his brother, and just asks him very, very sarcastically, so, how's your week going? Now, that tickled me. That (laughs) really, really tickled me. I found it hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, we then get a wonderful video package outlining the Katie Vick storyline, because... Lord knows we need more of that. No no one's ever said wonderful and Katie Vick in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> we then go into our first match of the night with Chris Jericho and Christian, the World Tag Team Champions, defeating the team of Booker T and Goldust in 8 minutes and 47 seconds after Chris Jericho pinned, I think, Booker T with... No, a, it was it was Goldust. Was it Goldust with the Lion's Salt? The weird... No, because it kind of went against the story, but also was a bit of a fucked story, um, match, so we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So basically, just a little bit of background into this match. Off the back of Armageddon, uh, sorry, Unforgiven, uh, Jericho was still the IC champion. He defeated Goldust to retain it earlier on, and then a match was set up um, between Kane and Chris Jericho. Basically, Kane at this point was the tag team champion. They switched championships, and then... There's been some bad blood between Chris Jericho and Booker T, with Chris Jericho interfering in a cage match between Booker T and Big Show. It wasn't. It was. Po- it was post match. Basically, Booker T came out and then Jericho hissed him and then went backstage on Raw and went. It's because he keeps calling me a sucker. It's like he calls everyone a sucker. It's very flimsy reasoning. Very yeah. Flimsy to be fair, he was also he, and he keeps going. Oh, and also Fuzzy's great. And I'm like, especially in 2002, Fuzzy fucking sucks. <laughs> so basically, after all this, Bischoff announces that Jericho and Christian, the new champions, would then defend those titles against Booker T and Goldust at this pay per view. Now, four one one Mania says about this match, it's not bad outside of the ring breaking down which obviously we'll go into in a minute. It's a huge part of this match. The Wrestling Observer gave it two and three quarter stars. So, Chris, opinions, thoughts, what did you think of this match? It was a house show match. It was everyone going through promotions. Um, no, nothing crazy, but like the four charismatic enough to get the crowd into it because it's like Jericho, Christian, um, Booker and Goldust. What I do love though is Christian's music. Christian! It's amazing. I just love, and now you're on your own. And it's like, that is absolutely amazing. Now he's back in the tag team division. Uh, no, but it's, Christian has a weird attire here as well, doesn't he? It's like, he doesn't suit the long hair, does he? It's very... He looks a lot better now. He's one of those people that's yeah. aged very, very gracefully. Yeah, he, yeah, he's... He's like Benjamin Button. He looks much better than when he's... <laughs> <laughs> he's aged gracefully. He's like a fine wine. He's matured. Yes, but his neck hasn't, nor his legs, but, you know, everything else. <laughs> um, but no, it was, like, it was a bit of a nothing match, but the crowd were into it, so... And they weren't into everything on this show, so... No, they were into it. Obviously, you were absolutely right. The, the reason they're into it is because look at the four in the ring. You, you're going to struggle to find four more charismatic members of the roster. Of course, this match is probably only going to be remembered for Chris Jericho attempting a lion salt and then the second rope snapping. Yeah, that it was a very clear scrambled finish. It, it was a, very much a scrambled finish after that. It's like, quickly go home. Because um, Christian and Booker brought into the crowd and then Jericho hits a normal moonsault, which he never does. And considering he never does it, it was a good moonsault. It was a very good moonsault. Well done, Chris Jericho. <laughs> well done. Um, 2002, Chris Jericho. <laughs> I'm sure he listens to the podcast and he's appreciative of our uh, of our love. Avid listener. Of his part-time moonsault. 
go check out his um, little known podcast, Talk is Jericho. Some all right interviews on there. Just be prepared to learn about me undies. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> now, personally, Chris, I gave this five stars. I gave it five. I, 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 I'm tempted to give it six because of how gracefully they managed to get out of the shit predicament they were in. Because that um, line so was obviously meant to be the finish. Yeah, it. I just I can't I can't get over how how dangerous that could have been. That could have been you know a broken neck. That's how dangerous yeah, that could have been. It's it's not the most scary rope break though. Like the most scary one I've seen oh, it, no. is the Will Osprey Ricochet one at One Culture. Oh yeah, that looked fucking awful. Jesus Christ! The entire thing came firing off, didn't it? It was awful. I know, I know and it was like right as the two's legs were on it. Jesus, um, and it's, to be fair, you know, I, ju- I just had visions of you know when Chris Jericho had a match with Mister Perfect and he under rotated the line saw and thankfully Mister Perfect got his knees up to try and stop him breaking his neck. I yeah, just had visions of that happening again. Oh God, we the world needs Chris Jericho. Uh, thankfully, he was all right. Uh, obviously, retained their championships. Are we agreed? Five stars, Chris. Yeah, fine. It was a house show match. Just got the crowd into it, though. Exactly. Typical opener of 2002, good match. There was one good spot, though, where Gold just catapulted Jericho um, over into like, a dive on Christian. I thought that was quite cool. Yes, that was really good. And there's actually another but, um, move I want to talk about in the Chris Benoit Kurt uh, Angle tag match, where and, Edge and Rey Mysterio uh, <laughs> do stuff like that. And also, Je- one of several things where I hate Jerry Lawler on the show, he says he hopes for cell phones on Michael Cole and Taz. And I'm sort of like, we all wish Michael Cole was dead sometimes, Jerry, but he was all right in 2002. And also, fuck off. Just big dog, big dog, boss time, big dog, big dog, boss time, big dog. <laughs> Crack a barrel, big dog, big dog. Um, so then... Beast time. <laughs> oh my God, it's the beast. <laughs> um, we move... just... Go on. He's so fun to watch. Sorry, I just say Michael Cole things. Oh God, he's he's just the worst. He was he's actually all right in two thousand and two. No, believe it or not, he's good on this because Heyman's running the commentary for SmackDown and not Vince. Yeah, true. We then go to interviewer Funaki, who is with <laughs> Al Wilson, and asks the question, the important question, which of course is why were you showering with your clothes on, Al? Right. I have several questions. So, like, you are old. You're older than me. How old were you in 2002? I was 12 in 2002. Okay, so it's not exactly the most relevant person to ask. But Gareth isn't here. How the fuck was any of this like on in 2002? It's. I have to say, for a 12 year old boy, this must have been great for you, Rob. But you can see what the WWE were trying to do, and Garth made a very, very good point on the on the chat. This was a completely different time. Now, I will just clarify that the backstory of this was Dawn Marie attempting to sleep with Al Wilson, Tory Wilson's father. Um, oh, I was and... talking about Funaki in this case. Oh, it's just so racist. <laughs> oh, I was going to complain about when he got into that match, because Jesus Christ, Funaki, Funaki thing is just so racist. Uh, yeah. I you can't put that to a different time. I think racism was pretty out at this point. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I don't think we can really... I don't think we can condone it. I don't think we can really comment like three, on it. This is like three years removed from Choppy Choppy, your pee-pee verse. Oh, God, yeah, kind I. Bloody hell. Um, so, 
<laughs> yeah, this is all in relation to the next match, uh, which was Tory Wilson defeating Dawn Marie in 4 minutes and 41 seconds with a swinging neck breaker. Now, again, major backstory plot is that Dawn Marie is attempting to sleep with Tory Wilson's father. Now, Tory Wilson, after a match uh, between uh, Dawn Marie and Matt Hardy and Tory and Rikishi on SmackDown, was he SmackDown? Yeah, it, was, it would be SmackDown. It's SmackDown. So she ran backstage to find her dad and found her in the found him in the shower with a very naked Dawn Marie and a fully clothed Al Wilson. <laughs> and I'm I'm just sort of like, if you're being dragged with a chat, at least take your fucking top off now. <laughs> it's a but very it's very strange strange. I don't scene. I don't have an issue with this storyline in like in terms of like story beat to story beat. Like I'd be annoyed if someone was trying to sleep with my dad, but um my issue was we were just having like we weren't fighting on this one of the smackdowns we just had a lingerie contest i'm like what the fuck is the point why well how how does this help anything you're just having a random lingerie contest it's the state of the women's division again it was a different time you look at the demographic that wwe are attempting to tap into (laughs) who are they attempting to tap into 18 to 34 what do 18 to 34-year-old men want to see? They want to see boobs, lingerie, and pillow fights. And that's what they got, in fairness. Is that me. what you want? Is that what you want to see? <laughs> I mean, I refuse to answer that on the grounds I might incriminate myself. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> but um, eight um, from the 18 to 34 demographic, and I found all this very frustrating. Yes. Um, I mean... 411 Mania said, pretty bad match. This would actually be okay if they didn't try and wrestle. But they did. <laughs> no, that's the thing. The bits where, like, Dawn Marie was, like, being athletic and jumping mother rope, she can she can jump. So that's fine. But, like, every time they... Like, Tori Wilson just can't move. <laughs> it was a very, very rigid Awkward performance match. from Tori. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there was a script and she was trying desperately to remember every point of the script every every kick made the slightest contact and it's it's bad when you think that dawn marie had to almost carry this carry no that's what i was looking at dawn marie it's like you're at least moving like someone who's been to one or two wrestling lessons tori wilson's not both of these people in ecw and wcw were ballets so like they had no point being in the ring it's not like later on with trish and victoria while the better match it's not exactly as forgivable because of the training they had these two just shouldn't have been wrestling it's like it's simple as that again the most memorable part of this match is where the two get into some manner of scrap on the floor and roll over the referee and the referee seems to enjoy it, grabs a hold, and then gets chastised by Dawn Marie for apparently copping a feel. I I could hear, hear when they got into that spot was Joey Sile shouting cat. Yeah, it would. I mean, the Wrestling Observer gave it minus one stars. Um, it's we don't not do a minus ratings here. We don't but, do minus, so I think Dud is fair. Dud, maybe one just for Don Marie's athleticism because, like, really, I think if Don was in there with like Lita or Trish, it would have been like a two out of ten. Are we acknowledging that Dawn Marie has carried a match? Really? No, she hasn't carried a match, but she, the girl, tried. Rob, oh, this this storyline got no better. 
in the aftermath. It, it, it did not get any better. It just led to random lesbianism, which, like, is, like, I'm in favour of in some cases, but not just when for sexual gratification. Like, when I'm just watching a TV show, I was like, oh, you're a lesbian, that's cool. Please don't say this is for, like, people's gratification, because that's going to upset a lot of people. I mean, let's be honest, lesbianism was rife. Gratuitous lesbianism was rife on Raw. He sounded like an old grand of us, like, lesbianism is fucking rife nowadays. <laughs> Just back in my day, there were no lesbians. The off had a man. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing, nothing against lesbianism at all. But this but the, was but these just two aren't ridiculous. Like, these two were being forced into it. Yeah, this this was this was just ridiculous. Um, we then go backstage and RVD interview. <laughs> we get the RVD interview now. He's shaggy. I actually quite liked this interview. I didn't have an issue with this uh, interview. No. no, it was started out as like the standard RVD one. Actually, there was a great one when Jeff Hardy was looking for a tag pan. It was like, hey, dude, you do miss? And he just came up like, bro, tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh, my. And they walked off. Um, but he was, yeah, he, he started off like the normal, yeah, cool, whatever, RVD promo. And then he started doing his Ric Flair impression, which, like, wrestlers impersonating Ric Flair is, like, low-key, a fine art. I'm not going to lie. And it wasn't the imitation, it was the words. He just delivered it very, very well. You can tell that yeah, this no, wasn't exactly. a scripted promo. Yeah. Um, what annoyed me most, though, like, especially after this, is how Jerry Lawler reacted to the promo, going, oh, he travels in coach. I'm like, planes are expensive, Jerry. Yeah. It, well, it's it's the king. You can't really... I mean, half of his commentary is puppies! So, you know... <laughs> It is buzzword. <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous. On Raw, right? Um, so it's Raw Roulette, and Jerry Lawler volunteered a match for a match thinking it was going to be a hot lesbian action match. But no, it was a legal in Nevada match. Him versus Stevie Richards. The winner gets to spend a night with all of Godfather's hosts. And <laughs> he left commentary after he won the match. That's incredible. He was like, no, I, I was watching this going... I hate King so much, but also this is quite entertaining. <laughs> oh, the state of war. The um, state of war. We then go to another part as Coachman runs off. Uh, he sees Tracy, <laughs> who apparently is the spouse, in, in, in inverted commas, the spouse of The Undertaker, and he goes, he says some bollocks at her because it's Coachman, and Tracy, in this horribly shrill voice, says that she's not lying, and she will prove to everyone that The Undertaker has been unfaithful to his very, very heavily pregnant wife, Sarah. What what I love is, like, you're bringing in someone literally just to say lies. Surely you went to, like, it's, Lauren Knight is doing the talent spot, so I know he's just went into a and swimsuit magazine, but surely look for like actors classified or something. Fucking girl can't act. <laughs> hey, she has an acting credit as Bikini Girl Two in Back to the Future Part Two. <laughs> Did a, you look this up? That is a genuine thing. Yes, I needed to look her up and see if she was actually a wrestler to see if she could what wrestle better and she could talk. <sighs> Pardon? What else was she in? Uh, that's all I remembered. Um, she clearly wasn't in anything big, or I'd have remembered it. Um, anyway, we cut at this point now to the third match on the main card with Rob Van Dam defeating Ric Flair in eight minutes and one second after a five-star frog splash. Now, a little bit of backstory to this, Chris. Unforgiven 
RVD was taking on Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship in a fucking terrible match. Um, Ric Flair, after being chastised earlier in the night by Triple H, runs down, takes a sledgehammer, looks like he's going to hit Triple H, but instead hits Rob Van Dam. That, of course, causes Triple H to win via pedigree. Um, so, of course, Ric Flair is now the lapdog, effectively, of Triple H. Yes, Triple H has taken Ric Flair, the nature boy, and made him his bitch. Um, so, lots of things happen on Raw then, um, on the Raws following this. And eventually, Eric Bischoff says that once Ric Flair has cost Rob Van Dam yet another match against Triple H, that they are going to have a match at no mercy. Now, 411 Mania, this is possibly my favorite quote when describing this match. Are you ready? Uh-huh. 411 Mania says, This was oil and water mixing to create not a beautiful rainbow in the gutter, but just a big old mess. <laughs> the Wrestling Observer gave it two stars. So that's a passable match. I found well, I- this match very, very dull. I literally I didn't take and literally I can read my notes for Rayton. RVD does RVD things to, to Flair. Flair does Flair things to RVD. That's basically it. <laughs> it was a very very by the numbers match. Um, yeah, it, it was another house show match, and like the two don't gel really. Like it was a, just a collection of moves. Rick like, Flair always... could st- at this time. Rick Flair could still have fantastic matches with. Someone who works a similar style to him. He had a wonderful match in 2006 with Edge. Um, that was a, that was pretty great, wasn't it? He also had, he had some great matches. He had some great matches on his retirement tour years later as well. And he also had a really like bloody affair with Vince the year before this, didn't he? Exactly. So I think it's just a case of these two have very, very, very different styles. You think of Rob Van Dam coming off the back of the, uh, ECW, off you know the hardcore division, and. I, just, I don't think these two styles meshed. Uh, obviously, Ron Van Dam won, which I think was the correct result, having been buried previously. Um, but he would then be mired in the tag team division for a while, you know, the Intercontinental scene, once the Intercontinental Championship was brought back. Um, yeah, it was just, to be honest, it was a very, very forgettable match. You're right when you say it was just a house show match. I gave it four stars because I don't think it was anywhere near as good as the tag team opener. I gave it five just because I couldn't, I, like, I didn't have anything I hated about this match. I just, it was just sort of there for me, but I'm willing to concede it for. I, ju- I think there needs to be some manner of discrepancy between the Chris Jericho and Christian tag team match where, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was inoffensive. It didn't do anything wrong. It didn't attempt to do anything more than it was. R- same with this match, but I just, I enjoyed it less and I don't know if it's because I expected a little bit more you know it's Ric Flair and it's Rob Van Dam maybe it's because the best of Ric not the best of Ric Flair the best of Ric Flair was in the early 90s and 80s but you know the best of this recent incarnation of Ric Flair was yet to come I don't know I just I felt I felt very flat during this match yeah it wasn't I I kind of just was spent most of my time looking at another screen for this match I couldn't Keep focus on it. <laughs> I think that I think that says all it needs to say. Like if you were when you looking at when you're reaching matches... for your phone, when no, I was looking at my phone oh, right. through most of this because it was because it was pretty. Like I was, I took my notes and I was like, I I was still watching it, but I was still like halfway just scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> no, I agree. I think I think that says all it needs to be said. 
We then cut backstage where angry Big Show kill Eric. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eric Bischoff walks in on a Big Show who is very, very annoyed talking to Stephanie. Eric demands to know what is going on and Big Show slams young Bischoff into what seems to be some manner of shelving and says he's the big show, he hasn't headlined a pay-per-view in God knows how long, he hasn't been on a pay-per-view in two months, and he demands a title match. He then says, if you don't do something about this, the next time I see you, I'm going to break your neck, or something like that, words to that effect. He walks off, and Bischoff does a fantastic, fantastic impression of a man who has literally just pissed his own pants. Um, Bischoff, Bischoff is pretty good. Actually, you know what I loved about Bischoff? Um, the Bischoff era, just one thing. Hot um, know the, oh, no, <laughs> no. You know the um, like old opening of like with all the TV screens and all that. I mean, it, it was like a flash of the WWE logo before it went into the actual show. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, but on Raw, it would just flash instead of the WWE logo, it would flash Bischoff's face. <laughs> did did do you reckon he has? The greatest smile in WWE. He, you, you want to punch that smile? Oh, you do, you do, you absolutely, he, you absolutely do. The thing is, Eric Bischoff is a great heel, but also he's so he, he he has been given shit to work with in a lot of these cases. <laughs> like HLA was not his idea. Well, it reeks of Vince. Don't be ridiculous. It, yeah, events of it reeks of either Vince McMahon or Vince Russo. Either I would believe. To be honest, there are parts of this show that I was like, is Vince Russo still working for the WWE? And no, he'd be in um, the NWA TNA stuff at this point. Uh, no, he wouldn't. He'd be in no. Ring of Glory, I think. Oh. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, they only ran two shows, but I think, he, I think 2002, 2003, I think it was that era. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, well. Um, we then have, oh, just briefly... Um, so this would eventually lead to Eric Bischoff trading Big Show to SmackDown uh, for Batista, Randy Orton, Val Venus, and Devon Dudley, as well as Stephanie's credibility as a general manager. No, no here's the weird thing. Okay, so Batista was already announced for coming up before this, because he was vignettes being played of him on Raw. Um, no, Batista but... was de- Batista was Deacon, Deacon Batista at this point. He was, but like on the Raw I watched, there was a package saying he was coming to Raw. Maybe they were about to change his god-awful packaging. Who knows? No, they were. They were portraying him as, like, the animal. That's how he was being portrayed. I don't. I doubt this is something they'd have added after the fact. But yeah, like, three people for Big Show. It's not... It's like trading around, like, the fucking WWE slam attacks, which was the hyper shit in school. Chris, 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 it's the big show. He weighs 18,000 pounds. And in his first match, um, and in his first night on the job, throws Brock Lesnar off of the stage, goes on to Survivor Series, has a pretty shit match, and wins the WWE title after Paul Heyman turned on Brock Lesnar. Ruins a good show. Ruins a good show at Survivor, Survivor Series. Survivor Series 2002 was, was great. It's my favourite Survivor Series. It's a good show. Good show. We then get the aforementioned rundown of the history of the Intercontinental Championship, again, which will be dissolved. No matter what, they are going to have one singular champion on the Raw brand. And it, I think it's at this point that everyone can see the writing was on the wall. They were never going to let Kane 
be the face of Monday Night Raw. And I think have Bischoff having simply given the title to Triple H, it, it, it was it was writing on the wall. It was writing on the wall. Um, it's such a shame. It's just just terrible. But you know that's by the by. I'm sure we'll get into that during their actual match. <laughs> um, we then get on to. I I do not understand this match. And when I said earlier I, that Vince you mean Russo, the, you mean the rivalry? No, I understand the rivalry. Sort of fine. Sort of fine. It's super because like it was part of the tag team championship tournament. Um, Jamie Nidia got Jamie Noble chucked out of the arena. <laughs> so to do, we got Brock Lesnar as a tag team partner, and they still lost. They still, yeah, because it was Edge and Ray versus Mysterio, and I think, and like, I think, I don't, I don't quite remember because it was on in the background. But I think Lesnar just wasn't trying. Oh, just right. Anyway, so once this had happened, Jamie Noble then had a match against Nidia, with you know, yeah, okay, yeah, that was a thing. Fine um, with Tajiri, a special guest referee. Yeah, because Jury's meant to be the tag partner. All this is interconnected so far. Of course. So then, basically, Noble wins. Yes. So Tajiri then attempts to help Nidia, being a gentleman. Nidia then slaps him. Noble attacks <laughs> Tajiri. And then Noble and Nidia make out in the middle of the ring. And then there's a match between Noble and Tajiri for the Cruiserweight Championship at No Mercy with Nidia as the girlfriend of Jamie Noble. Well, Nidia was always the girlfriend of Jamie Noble. I mean, what? (laughs) What's confusing you about this? Right, so my main issue with this is, what is Nidia's beef with Tajiri? I don't know, they were all meant to be friends. I, I just what I, uh, mm. <laughs> this was, was this a great, was a was swerve a for a swerve's sake. There was a weird Taz. Well, a funny. I found it quite funny. Um, he was like, um, I don't think Nidia I don't think Nidia cares. Carl, if I had a tongue, if I had a tongue, she's on it. <laughs> Love it. I, to be honest, the commentary was fantastic throughout this. No, apart with, from the odd with, awkward bit of uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, no, that's been JR, Cole, and Taz all did great jobs. Like, JR was doing a great job in spite of Jerry. I think, just quickly before we get into match four, I think what you've got to remember is with Jerry the King Lawler, he was was commentating in a time that hasn't aged well. So what he said at the time was funny. It It was a completely different time. Looking back on it, Lord, it hasn't aged well, just as Jerry the King Lawler's commentary hasn't really aged that well. But at the time, it was brilliant. It was funny. It was on yeah, the nose. It was great. They have you like JR calling every other woman a Jezebel, and while that hasn't aged well, it doesn't annoy me. No, I know, but that's because you have that place in your heart for JR, as we all everyone do. Everyone has that place in, in their heart for JR. Do you say everyone Unless has he's... that place in JR? <laughs> <laughs> he's a big fella. Wow. Um, we then get to match four, where Jamie Noble, the Cruiserweight champion, defeats Tajiri in eight minutes and 15 seconds after a victory roll. This, of course, after Nidia intervenes. The Wrestling Observer gave it three stars, despite of the ridiculously convoluted lead-up to this match that we actually had. 
Um, <laughs> it was an all right match. It was a decent match, Chris. All right. So this was, I can imagine, like, if I, if I was like, well, the age I was when I saw this match, I'd think it was, like, amazing just because of how, like, it's a lot of stuff that's commonplace today, but you wouldn't expect it necessarily at the time. Like, it was almost exclusive to the Cruiserweights. Like, you'd never seen a side moonsault outside of the Cruiserweights back then if you weren't watching like ring of honor or something so i, I enjoyed it I'm like this is something i did not expect in the show you forget how good jamie noble is jamie, jamie noble is actually pretty damn good isn't he i was gonna say the exact same thing the one thing i picked up from in this match i mean we have been spoiled somewhat looking back at shows like this when you look you know the cruiserweights that we've got i mean god that match between mustafa ali and buddy murphy in the recent most recent episode of smackdown fucking hell what a match you know, and then you compare that to the Cruiserweight match here and you think, well, it's, you know, it's not as flippy, it's not as, you know, ambitious, but it's still a good match, still a good Cruiserweight match. And for the time, it was really, really good. And that's what, you know, people have got to do when they look back at this is not compare it with today's product because they're different products, they're different animals, they're different beasts, they're different times. This match, in a nutshell, I thought was, you know, six and a half, seven star match. Um, it was told a decent story. It didn't overstay its welcome. It wasn't too short, which was crucial. Um, and you know, again, you've got the story of Tajiri's kicks versus Noble's underhand tactics. And you know, on top of that, remembering the Noble is a fantastic competitor. It's a shame about the finish. Um, obviously, Nidia yeah, was, was, was always like, going to get involved. It was like the Bulldog Bret Hart '92 finish, but with an actual woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly, with extra interference. Um, what did you think, star rating-wise? Six, I gave it. Like, it was, well, really fun, not especially memorable. That's fine. I You conceded on the four-star one. I will quite happily concede on the six stars for that one. Quick question, quick question bro. How nice is Tajiri's Tiger Bomb? Oh, but, it's um, del- oh, it's just delicious. Jamie Noble, yeah. Like, Jamie Noble would actually go on to be Ring of Honor champion for, like, half a year or something. So, And this is when Ring of Honor was good. <laughs> To be honest, Jamie Noble's a, he is a good wrestler, very, very good wrestler. I think he's really good. So there's a reason they bring him back when we brought when um like six months after they released him and brought him back six months later. Yeah, they did that with a lot of talents. For God's sake, Goldust, yeah. for example, he was oh, in and out of the company yeah, like was, anything. Yeah, he like in go to Japan for a few months, get the paycheck, and come back. Yeah, go to TNA, come back. Um, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> anyway, we then get a backstage skit with the G- Los Guerreros and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. I love this. Now, this harken back to... It was a SmackDown thing. Because basically the Guerreros... It? Okay, the Guerreros have basically been fucking with everyone. <laughs> like, um, it's funny. Like, after they beat Mark Henry and Rikishi, they just beat them both in singles matches afterwards with underhand tag tips because that's just what the fucking Guerreros do. But then they started messing with Benoit and Angle. I think because they were bored. Um, and eventually it just ended up with them attacking Benoit. Or I, I, forget, I forget it was Benoit or Angle. Um, and then what the other one happened to come save them because before their tag match, which was actually a really good tag match, um, was Eddie and Chavo versus Benoit and Angle, which you'd expect. But yeah, it was that basic. It was basically that, but spun around and Eddie Guerrero not believing it. <laughs> Yeah, my favourite bit was Eddie Guerrero going, that's not Chavo, that's a girl's voice. (laughs) And then immediately Chavo gets... It was a very British way of doing this. It was. It was an entertaining skit, and it just just worked. I really liked it. Los Guerreros were an underrated tag team. 
Yeah, you don't think of Benoit as someone who can do a comedy skit, but this is really... Chap, they want Scare to be look silly where they go out, and that, I think that was key to it. It also helps that Eddie's just the best, so... Oh, I was really sad he wasn't on the show, like even for like two minutes, so we can just gush about him. To be honest, I'm sure we'll do a show where Eddie Guerrero yeah. is on it soon in these. This is basic. This is basically just a way to uh, to give a reason why the Guerreros aren't fucking with this one because exactly. they were just fucking with everyone. So, Chris, remember uh, when we had that rundown of the Intercontinental Championship and its lineage? Yeah, and how like cool that would have been for like a unification match and everything. Yeah, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Um, and then we had can... that before the cruiserweight match. Yeah, we did. That was very strange. And we also had the graphic for the match was coming up. You know, Kevin Dunn get on it. Um, just, Seventeen years ago, or whatever. Just, just ridiculous. Right, Chris. Anyway, <laughs> I'd like you to sit down, please. I know you're already sitting down, and I want you to. Do you think I'd be standing up? Oh, in my head, yes. <laughs> um, I want you to just take a moment as I regale you with. The story of Katie Vick. Now, Katie Vick. Katie Vick, of course, was Kane's. It's it's undetermined as to whether Kane, you know, despite having spent, and this is important, the majority of his life in a mental asylum. Either, it, will, it depends on who you talk to. It's either a mental asylum or Paul Bearer's basement. One of the two, but apparently, periodically, he was allowed to attend house parties. And wrestling school. And wrestling school. Now, on one of these forays into a house party, presumably with the horrifically scarred face or the mask, so, you know, you can imagine that's a talking point at a college party. Anyway, they... Maybe it's a very special kind of college party. Maybe. He but, like, get... what... These help I know that's a diff- These sorts of ideas is a completely different movie. What was that Tom Cruise movie from, like, the weird sex shit? What? <laughs> that was, like, a Tom Cruise movie... Um, eyes wide shut or something. I, I have no idea. Of all the fucking <laughs> films you've seen and not I ha- seen, I haven't seen that. People reference it all the time. Ugh. Anyway, um, so Kane has a drink with this girl, Katie Vick, and eventually it turns out that she can't handle her liquor. Kane, being the kind, caring demon that he is, <laughs> <laughs> um, he decides to drive her home. He's just a nice guy. He's just a nice guy, mate. Eventually, something happens. The type of person a girl will go to and go, I wish my boyfriend was like you, but not (laughs) you, though. I don't want to ruin what we have. (laughs) Basically, if Kane was around today, he'd be an incel. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Um, There should be an incel wrestling character. I think that would be amazing. Anyway, go on. I bet there is one on the indies somewhere. Uh, We're going to have to look this up after the podcast. So, anyway, in the process of taking her home, he crashes the car, Katie Vick dies, and presumably Kane runs away to either Paul Bearer's basement or the mental asylum, depending on who you listen to. Triple H has now found this out, apparently, and he is now lording it over Kane. <laughs> what, did, was it ever specified? I've watched both things, and I don't think he ever did. Did he specify where he got this information? He never does, but that isn't the bit that I'm bothered about. Now... <laughs> After saying that Kane was a murderer, you know, to end one episode of Raw, we then get the next episode of Raw where Kane explains himself, saying that, you know, look, I'm sorry, it was an accident, admits that he's killed this woman, 
uh, Triple H comes back because apparently he hasn't stuck his big beaky nose into this business <laughs> enough. Um, he comes out to interject and says, oh, your story's only part true because don't forget you'd been drinking as well. I don't know how that m- works through the mask um, because obviously <laughs> he didn't have the mouth bit cut out until he came back in 2002. But, you know... Direct injection, man. Yeah, there you go. Just straight... Do you think, Ka- do you think Kane only drinks Fireball? Could do. Could drink, te- <laughs> could drink Jack Daniel's fire whiskey as well. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Just neat. Hot whiskey. Through the eyes. Maybe a flaming moat. Flaming <laughs> Not referencing enough. But no, 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 Chris. No, no, no. Because that's not it either. Apparently, this wasn't enough to create the uproar of the angle. No, no, no. Apparently, during Katie's autopsy, the doctors found traces found of semen. Kane's semen. Leaving these these were the two these were the two possibilities in Triple H's in Triple H's mind. One of them, did Kane force her? force himself on her while she was still alive. Force, not consensual sex. No, 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 no. And um, the other one was, or did he wait until she was dead? Now, being, this has being gone fair, from... It was, it, was, it was very much implied that she'd be too drunk to give consent. So basically, what we've done here is we've gone from accidental death to, to full-on necrophilia. Ah, uh, yes. Fun fact, Jesus. When I was 12 or whatever, first year of grammar school, I didn't know what necrophilia meant, and people kept saying it. And because I didn't know what they meant, they just went to me and go, go ask the teacher, so I did. And so (laughs) I got in trouble. (laughs) But I genuinely didn't know what necrophilia was. Oh, God. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so this led to Kane kicking off, as as you would when someone out she was a necrophiliac. Um, To be fair, he does deny these allegations. I, I don't think that this needed to be done. Um, no, but like, honestly, a ma- just a match between Triple H and Kane at this point sounds decent enough. Surely, and surely the fact that you are unifying two titles should be enough. enough of a stipulation in a match. Not, you shagged a dead girl. <laughs> it's it's one Go of on. the it's one of the most mind bendingly stupid storylines. I mean, it's. Nobody, you ask anyone in the internet wrestling community, any professional wrestler, anything, and this angle will be cited as the stupidest or one of the stupidest angles slash storylines ever. Because as you said, Chris, this completely, completely eclipsed the fact that the Intercontinental Championship was going to be dissolved. I have a conspiracy for you. I'm always intrigued by conspiracy theories. Okay, so obviously they do not want people, um, the, all the bitching to be on them retiring this title. So they make the worst storyline they could possibly think of so people aren't talking about the title. Potentially. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure the backlash of this angle and just the hatred spewed toward this angle, probably worse, but... Never mind, never mind. They would obviously double down on this later when Triple H shagged a dummy in a mortuary. But, you know, there is that as well. <laughs> I, I'm glad on that. Like, I was really... When Katie Vick was brought up, I was really worried the next week that would happen. Thankfully, it doesn't. It's not till Thankfully. later in the lead-up to Survivor then, like, Series. Triple H and Kane would be feuding on and off the next year. There was a triple threat the year after. Well, if you think about it, this, this sort of... Um, this feud ran up into 2003 where Kane was eventually unmasked. Yeah. Like, and it's weird because 
Kate, we'll get into it in a second. Kane was quite over as a baby face. Oh, massively over. Like, but... and he was a, he's a really charismatic face. I will just say, Kane obviously got massive, massive reception. So did Triple H. Well, yeah, this is before people started hating him. Well, yeah, thought we'll soon not, get to it's that. It's not long after this. Like, one or two bad stories can be forgiven. It's when you get to, like, mania and racism and all that shit, where people are just like, oh, this yeah. is, maybe you're not quite as cool as it seems. People like you don't win championships. Can you say of, that, Trips? Of, of course he meant entertainers. Of course he meant that. That's, about, that's what Bruce Pritchard says, but I don't trust anything that comes out of his mouth. So. Oh, God. Anyway, we move on to match five, which of course is the aforementioned Unification Championship match. Triple H, the World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Kane, the Intercontinental Champion, in 16 minutes and 13 seconds via pedigree. Now, just quickly, 411 Mania describes this match as terrible for the first 10 minutes, but fine once Ric Flair arrived. The Wrestling Observer gave it two and three quarter stars. I personally, when I looked at the actual timings for this show and realised that this was 16 minutes, I swear to God, I thought it was 26. This was the... This dragged. When you've got... Triple H and Kane. Triple H is capable of having absolutely outstanding matches. Well, look at the matches where the match with Michaels like two months before this. Exactly. Look at his matches with The Undertaker. I mean, you look at his match at WrestleMania 17 against The Undertaker. Okay? Or even like his matches, match at WrestleMania 19 against Booker was really good until that shitty ending. The problem here is that Kane and Triple H refuse to bump. <laughs> A, refuse, refuse to bump. B, have really, really similar move sets. Yeah. And it's more impressive with Kane because he's bigger. Like and B, much as I love Kane, Kane, you can go back into the archives and find mine and Garth's top 10 wrestlers, and Kane is my second favourite wrestler. He's not a good in-ring competitor. No. Um, like, he needs to be carried. I Like, when you think of, like, classic Kane matches, I can't actually think of any classic Kane matches. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's all gimmick. He is all gimmick, which I'm fine with. And clearly you're fine with, because your current favourite is Bray Wyatt. Hey, but... hey, I I liked Bray Wyatt before it was cool to like Bray Wyatt. I like I like Bray Wyatt in NXT. To fuck, to fuck with you. But anyway. To fuck uh, with you. To fuck with you. <laughs> Hang on, decide whether or not that's an Irish or Scottish <laughs> accent and try again. Well, mate, you decide if you have a Scottish accent or not, okay? Right, okay, I slip between... I have an English accent and I sometimes slip with Scottish because that's where I live, okay? Deal with it. I have an excuse. <laughs> when, when you're mimicking both Irish and Scottish ha- heritage, just... No. By the way, did you see... Um, so, um, I ended up getting into an argument with, like, that at, at 4-6 Yeti from the um, Irish whip. Oh, yeah, yeah. About... Uh, this is a few months ago about Austin Aries because I think he's a cunt and um, then Garth came along and went Chris we do not condone Chris's actions as he does every time I post anything on Twitter that's because and... people we do not condone Chris's actions <laughs> and then um, he was like oh, I, I, and Garth was like oh it's because he's Scottish and he's like I don't and the guy from the Irish, Irish was like I don't care I'm Scottish I'm like you're American on an Irish podcast like fucking Decide your fucking heritage and get back to me. <laughs> and don't try to out-Scot the person who's living in Scotland. Um, Game back to no, this match, man. This, uh, what did this you think? Like, okay, so like, the bits about the interference were boring, and when the interferences happened, they were annoying. <laughs> like, 
I get they were tag team partners, but also like the end was just overbooked. It's like, but not like a good amount of overbooks, just overbook like attitude era nitro type of overbooking. Yeah, it was. They weren't no exactly making Triple H good. look like the strong champion, and um, they weren't making, and they didn't make it so Kane like now, like neither man looked even the same coming out of this. They both looked worse coming out of this. The, the only thing I can say really is that Kane at least. It took a lot of interference, a lot of sledgehammer shots and things like that to actually get him to stay down. But, yeah. Also, question. Is Kane's selling of the pedigree the worst in WWE? No, because um, I have... Okay, so I have two actually there are things I'm nostalgic for because I found them at a car boot sale. It's Survivor... It's, no, it's not Survivor Series. It's, um, it's Royal Rumble 1998. And Capital Carnage, which was like this house show where they taped from um, London, and there was a match between Jeff Jarrett and Triple H. And Jeff Jarrett's even worse because he does because he like buried his head and like Triple H's face, and like didn't even have his like Kane at least somewhat had his head hit the mat. Jeff Jarrett just didn't at all, and then took the biggest was been coined as a Kane bump. But yeah, Kane's pretty up there with bad sellings of the pedigree. Like Kane is to the pedigree what Vince is to the stunner. <laughs> Some people argue that Vince is the best seller of the stunner. <laughs> he crumples like paper. He does, but I quite like that. Okay, when you've got Scott Hall fired into space, <laughs> Scott Hall. And... Yeah, to be fair, before I had any concept of what selling was, um, the rocks taking the stunner was my favorite thing because he would just fly halfway across the ring, and then I got. Then I started actually thinking about how this is meant to be a fight, and I'm like, oh, maybe not. But yeah, this this match was pretty dull. Like, neither man, like, I, literally, oh, Hebner took more bumps than Kane and Triple H combined here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just can't get over, like you say, they dissolved the second most prestigious, well, if anything, the most prestigious, because the Undisputed Championship, well, it hadn't exactly got the lineage when you classed the fact that it was two championships. Um, yeah. You know, it was, in effect, the most prestigious championship, but it just wasn't mentioned at the end of the match. Nothing. Um, I mean, the Wrestling Observer gave it two and three quarter stars. In my I think Malta was being it, nice. Yeah, I like, can't give you, it over four. Like, I think what people don't realise is Vince is quite um not Vince um Meltzer is quite nice to WWE at times and this is a shining example. Yeah. Uh, um he'll underrate some things, but then he'll massively overrate some things for the sake of style and what or whatever. They're like, nah, like the crowd weren't even into it. The crowd was dead by the end of this. Yeah, and when you um, consider the fiery reaction, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> to Kane well, and Triple H's entrances, and then you consider the fact that the bell came and there was fuck all. Honestly, if this if it wasn't for um, Steiner duology, this would be the worst couple matches of Triple H's run. Other, what I will say, um, I do love Kane's old theme. Yes, I agree. Right, I agree. It's such a good theme. It was my favorite theme as a child. What are you going to give it? For I agree. I agree. It's it's no better than. In fact, it's a little bit worse than the Rob Van Dam Ric Flair match. Um, yeah, no, because well. The RVD Flair match had less expectation, to be fair. It's also had RVD in it. Yeah, RVD always makes everything a little better around this time. Not anymore. Guys, <laughs> Garfield Test being the impact fan. <laughs> now, Chris, I want to ask you about this angle. Okay, you ready? <laughs> just, yeah. just this segment. So, obviously, right. 
At the start of the podcast, I told you that the main storyline heading into this from a SmackDown point of view was that Heyman and Brock Lesnar had found this woman, Tracy, who was saying that she was sleeping with Brock Lesnar while he was married to Sarah, who was heavily pregnant. Sleeping with Undertaker. Sorry, what did I say? <laughs> Brock Lesnar. Oh, Although, sorry. I, I, I wouldn't put it past her. No, she's... Oh, God, yeah. Anything that moves. <laughs> Ring rat. Um, so, anyway, Stephanie McMahon, general manager of SmackDown, calls her into the office and basically says, woman to woman, how, how are you actually sleeping with Ignore the, the camera. Ignore that camera. Yeah, man. the camera, not really there. Um, like, you can get away with a shit in, like, Lucha Underground, where it's all, like, fly over wall shit. Fucking, you can't get away with it when the guy isn't, isn't even on the tripod and the fucking camera's shaking. That's nothing. This woman, Tracy, crumples like fuck. There's no there's no attempt to salvage the lie at all. She basically says, Paul Heyman found me. I slept with The Undertaker before he even met Sarah, probably once on a night out. But he paid me some money. I've sort of gone with the lie. Heyman kept lying. I kept lying. It all just spiraled. You Steph, know, you know. hang on. This bit's the best. Steph, as though she's some wonderful detective... Looks around, Tracy, and who's there? Oh, it's The Undertaker. Chris, The Undertaker knew she was fucking lying. He was there. I thought, you don't want Undertaker there. You want Sarah there. You want someone else there. You don't want the one person that knew she was lying to hear the confession that she was lying. <laughs> you stupid twat. Okay, but his, his, um, no one looks good in this. Apart from Stephanie, weirdly enough. I quite enjoy her in the babyface manager role here, but yeah, no, it's but here's the thing: it was it was obviously like I, the concept. It's it's like a lot of things on the show. The concept of this feud is really good. Um, Brock Lesnar, um, Paul Heyman is scared that Brock Lesnar can't beat the Undertaker, so he starts playing mind games. That's a great, that's in theory a great story. And to be fair, but the weekly stuff wasn't all that bad. Like, of course, Undertaker was like because. Heyman was doing great stuff to get to take his hair, which I'll get into when we're talking about the actual thing, but in this specific case, yeah, I can't justify any of, like, especially this segment. Like, hey, like, for example, my niece um, once stole my last Oreo. And How she the held... fuck is this going to tie into that? No, she held up better under interrogation than, like, because <laughs> <laughs> my niece is having, right? So, like, with <laughs> With Steph and Tracy, it was like, um, did he do it? Okay, yes, I did it. With me, with me and Manita, it was like, did he do it? No. Did he do it? No. Are you sure he didn't do it? I won't be mad. Okay, yes, I did it. <laughs> Caught you. I am mad. But It was just, did you sleep with The Undertaker? Yes. Are you sure? Well, it was like eight years ago. Fuck off, Tracy. <laughs> what are you doing? And I just, I do not understand like the camera panned around, I was like, "Oh my god, shit's gonna go down." What the fuck is the Undertaker doing there? Also, how do you miss the Undertaker upon walking into the room? That is a room? good point. You can't just hide behind the door if you're the Undertaker. <laughs> maybe he still has some of all. his. Maybe he still has some of his booty powers left. Maybe, maybe just <laughs> like maybe he just hides. He's just living like a rec- no. Because I remember I was talking to my um, friend Jen. I while I was watching the show, and. I was like, oh, you know how, because of course everyone knows like some wrestling because of how big it was. I was like, you know how the Undertaker's like this big scary demon guy? She was like, yeah. I was like, well, there was a period from like year 2000 to 2004 where he was a biker dude. And she's like, oh, that sounds really dramatic. I'm like, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> Do 
Do you know how I know that the Undertaker didn't have any of his dead man powers left? How? Because as he entered the room, there'd have been this gong, and everyone would have noticed. <laughs> Buckle so, up, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, you, you done fucked up now, Tracy. <laughs> Instead, it's just going out, going, you're a lying bitch. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, just, I don't understand. It was it was the most pointless thing. It was. I, I think it was just a reason not to have her come out in front of the crowd again. Yeah, just get her out of this fucking arena. But then, Rob, yes. this happened, and it was great. Oh, we then moved on to match six with the team of Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle defeating the team of Edge and Rey Mysterio in 22 minutes and three seconds to become the WWE tag team champions, the inaugural champions, after defeating them via ankle lock submission. Now, a couple of things to point out before I let Chris loose on this sh- on this match, because this is the match he chose. This is why he chose the pay-per-view. So 411 Mania says, not only was the match intense, action-packed and exciting at every turn, but it was creative in how they wrestled one another. One of the best straight-up tag matches I've ever seen. The Wrestling Observer gave it four and three-quarter stars. This match was incredible. There wasn't really any backstory to this. It was simply the culmination of the tournament that Stephanie McMahon announced, obviously with both brands needing a set of tag team titles. When you've got four of the SmackDown 6 in the ring at the same time, magic is going to happen. Now, when this match finished, I text you and said, this might be the most perfect tag match I've ever seen. You know, without stipulations or anything like that. I wasn't hiding behind a tables match, a ladders match, or anything like that. It was a straight-up tag match and everything. I was literally head in my hands at one point because Edge had kicked out of something. I was like, how the fuck is this possible? The chemistry between the four men, considering Kurt, Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle were thrown together by Steph and were so going to be Edge fired... And, so- so Edge and Ray. Exactly. Edge and Ray Mysterio. Edge, yes, has been a tag team wrestler before with Christian, but never with Ray Mysterio. They were two single stars at this point thrown together. They created tag team magic. Being fair, but if you look at the tournament brackets, there's only one non-front together tag team. But Billy and Chuck. I was I just going to say Billy and Chuck. But there's also um, the Guerreros. But then there was um, Rikishi and Mark Henry. Yep, that's just... And Jerry yeah. and Lesnar. And Reverend Devon and Ron Simmons. Which was literally like, okay, we have a black Satanist <laughs> and and a black Reverend. Let's put them together, start a sitcom, you know? I don't understand how you had a ready-made tag team. For God's sake, Devon is accompanied everywhere by Batista. Batista, yeah. But to be fair, at this point, Batista cannot be trusted in a match. Hey, he'd put uh, Bubba Ray through a table on jud- uh, Judgment Day. But okay, I think I'm pretty sure Bubba Ray is decent enough to coach someone through putting him through a table. He'd body slam Trish Stratus. I mean, I've heard rumors that he'd be believed. That's not an uncommon thing, though. Um, <laughs> no, Trish Stratus apparently is lovely, very faithful. There's actually she's actually one of the nicest ones, apparently. Yeah, no, but I'm really I regret that joke straight away. I'm sure Trish Stratus will be fine. <laughs> If we interview her one day, it's like someone's just going to bring that up, and I'm like, no, no. Oh, it's not as bad as I, I saw an interview of her and Peter Rosenberg, where Peter Rosenberg just went, yeah, I masturbated to your pictures last night. I'm like, don't do that in a fucking interview, Peter. Oh, my God. I know. Right. Anyway, so, 
Ignoring Peter this Rosenberg match. and that horrible image you've been graying on my mind, Chris, what did you think of this match? Oh, uh, well, again, I picked this show. Like, literally, I thought I remember the show being amazing just because of this match. Like, this match was actually voted Observer Match of the Year. Um, which is, especially nowadays, is a rarity for WWE. Like, it's just, you forget the WWE can put on amazing wrestling. Like, you can put this match in any year and it'll be a match of the year contender. I do agree with you, but I can't think, of, especially in the Fed, I can't think of any better tag match. That's not a TLC match. And even then, I prefer this to the TLC matches. Um, it's just, but, but again, the spots are so creative. And, like, I, I love how it, like, built. Like, it started off with everyone sort of, like, messing with each other, but also clearly has to fuel each other out. Like, it's a very King George thing, way of doing it. Like, um, the beginning with the slaps by Angle and Ray as a sort of show of disrespect. And then Ray just started out wrestling Angle because Ray can um, outmaneuver him. It's just amazing and then like it's like there's this weird consensus among like my area of smackdom with like the japanese smacks where edge isn't a great wrestler and i'm like fuck off edge is a great especially for wwe wrestler and he got so many good hot tags here and just it's weird like I'm not mentioning chris benoit and people might think it's for like the obvious reason but it's mostly because chris benoit like was for least factor in this match like he did cool shit like his germans are great but like he didn't he wasn't as much as a factor as the other three because the other three just did work so well together and i like how there was like interconnected thing like both edge every person in this match had feuded with someone one of the other in the last year or so like there was some history there for the commentators to draw on and that's paul Heyman's booking all over it's just Ah, this, I, I can't fault this match at all. I'm not naming all the spots because I know there was one you were gushing over and I want to not spoil it for you. Is it the one where Edge basically throws Mysterio into a moonsault to the outside? I'm not going to ruin that spot for you, Rob, but in the process of not ruining for you, Rob, I am going to tell everyone what that spot was. It was, yeah. I, I'm, it's fine. This This entire <laughs> match was fantastic. I mean, this is not a hot take at all, but Kurt Angle started professional wrestling in 1999. Yeah, exactly. It was like three years in at this point. The man is a wrestling god. Believable, and like when you consider, um, just how toned down Ray and Benoit are at this point, because of course Benoit can't do the shit he was doing in Japan. Ray can't do the shit he was doing in Mexico or even in WCW. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> the match is incredible. As as Chris has already said, there's no point as listing every single spot, but the submission, there's a lovely transition between Kurt Angle and Edge as we're heading towards the finish and transitioning into um, ankle locks. And just both men are just, it's so seamless. It's beautiful. It's a this thing of beauty. Is, this match is so good that we haven't once criticised Edge, Edge's spear. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Even Edge's spear looked better here well yeah because um neither benoit or angle are gonna sell it badly there's a i mean there's a wonderful moment where chris benoit is locked in the ropes and ray mysterio comes off the top of the rope and i swear to god at one point he disappeared into the ceiling he went no, it... so far into the bloody stratosphere and came yeah, it's down like fucking wwe after <laughs> yeah you could tell that all four of them felt very safe with each other and knew it's... what they were doing and it's clear they went out. You can see it on their face. They were coming out with the mindset of, we're going to steal this fucking show. 
Exactly. Exactly. And they did, and like they just so good. And like literally, since you said um, it's the best tag match you've ever seen, I'm trying to recommend my brain trying to think of like with any I think are better. Some on par, none better. Like Golden Love is Young Bucks comes to mind, but it's like I'm not sure if I like it as much as this. Like it's not as infinitely rewatchable, in my opinion. No, no, this DIY more... revival maybe. Say again. DIY revival. Mm, yes, they are very, very, very good tag matches. But again, you look at their best match. I would argue their best match is the two out of three falls match. I would also Toronto. say that. Yeah, and it's not as good as... Yeah, I can't... Like, you talk about, like, the NXT Tag Classics from last year with the Undisputed Era versus basically anyone. And, like, none of them are as good as this. I'd say probably the best tag match... Oh, no, that was this year, wasn't it? Uh, War Raiders. Uh, yeah. In February. Uh, sorry, the January. Of Musta- the Mustache Mountain at the UK show was great. That was fantastic. Absolutely. So I would argue that was the best tag match of last year. Yeah. Um, well, I'd argue... Well, indubitably, maybe not with Abushi with Abushi and Omega versus the Bucks. I'd say that's better than that one. But yeah, I, I can't know, think of. I I I think personally, I preferred the Mustache Mountain versus um, versus the Undisputed Era because it felt more like a tag match. That one felt very much like four men doing flippy Stuff. shit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was still um, a phenomenal match. Phenomenal. Oh yeah. um, the three main Golden Lovers match from that year with also Osprey and Tanner and Ishii and Okada were all amazing. But none of them were quite as good as this. <laughs> See, I, I prefer the Osprey Tanahashi match. See, we have, but, we have different than the Golden there, Lover ones. You think it's Sorry, a 10. Sorry, and... Young Bucks. Yeah, I, you think it's a 10, but I think it's a 9. I think for just. I think for how surprising of how good it was because we didn't expect them to go all out. Yeah, and to, for me to be comparing it to, you know, I've said that I preferred the Golden Lovers versus Tanner and Osprey, but to compare to even put it in the same ballpark as so the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks match, which we gave Broke. two stars to, I think. Yeah, you know, well, but this would have been before I joined, but also... Um... No, it wouldn't. It was last year. It was last year, but it was last year in like March. I joined around for best super juniors. Was it Strong Style Evolved? Yes, it was. It was yeah, the main event of Strong Style Evolved. It was like in March or something, and I joined in May or June. Like um, it was Dentaki, so it had been May I joined. Ah, oh, fair enough then. It seems like you've been with us forever. <laughs> A lot of people say that. <laughs> um, so go on. What do you think? Um, it's a ten. I can't. There's no fault in this match. There's no like glaring botch. Everyone pulled their weight. Um, really cr- uh, unbelievably, especially for the time, creative spots. Like every man has something cool. Like Edge had that amazing hot tag. Mysterio, of course, was flipping all over the fucking place. Angle was angle. Just everyone had an amazing showing. And I, can't, I literally can't find fault with this match. Like if, even if I was trying to and I try to be more positive when I look at a match I can't find fault with it no outstanding we then cut backstage where the Undertaker is threatening a doctor into giving him an injection for his broken hand now <laughs> I, I, I was watching this and my notes just say um, and we go back to the 1980s WWF 
just ridiculous. If you don't inject me, I'll inject myself. Okay, fair enough. And what they did was, or what looked like, obviously Undertaker's hand, not really broken. But you at least need to make it look like you're actually injecting him, as opposed no, to just to sticking the needle inside the cast and squirting it. Because all that's going to do is give him a wet arm. <laughs> not exactly. And it's sort of like... Just cut it, like just have it so it's going towards him, and then cut it before it touches him. Exactly, just ridiculous. Like I'm going to assume this was pre-taped, like so. Well, Kevin Dunn, come on. I've got a couple of issues with just the way that's worked into that match, but we have got a match before that, and that is the WWE Women's Championship match with Trish Stratus, the current champion, retaining over Victoria in five minutes and thirty-one seconds after a roll-up. Now, compared to the other women's match on this card, this was Okada and Omega. Um, <laughs> but his thing, I think the problems in this match are less forgivable given who was, who was in it and what we're going to do at the next month's show. There was, there was still botches. Oh, but Trish almost fell on her head twice. Yes. And and, and also, Jerry Lawler's... I know we talked about this earlier, but unbelievably annoying... I don't know the shtick was, was over because there was a We Want Puppies chance during this match. But uh, it was just really annoying. And I just love how JR was just desperately trying. And like eventually JR was just like, what are you talking about? And he was like, this match, this is a great match. It's like, like, it is a great match, King. And then like JR just went on to be JR. It, yeah, it, to be honest, this was the state of women's wrestling. Occasionally women would be allowed to wrestle when they weren't being forced to do bra and panties matches or barking like dogs oh, and basically being demeaned. Now, poor Trish Strat, right? So was, on the lead up to this, right, Raw Roulette, Trish Strat has had a match with Stacey Keebler. Um, it lasted like one minute. It's the worst match I've ever watched when doing anything for this podcast. And it was a bra and panties paddle on a pole match. Uh, yep, I remember it well. <laughs> do, do you? I... Oh, ah. Uh. We were all Young. 12 once. Yeah. <laughs> no, and no, I, I'd read the backstory. No, it's ridiculous. Like, literally just awful. Again, unfortunately, this was people's attitudes towards women's wrestling at the time. Luckily, we don't live in that era anymore, and thankfully, women's wrestling is the hottest it's ever been. Um, but at this time, unfortunately, it was seen as more of an afterthought. I mean, here, it was the second shortest match on the card. In fact, both the women's matches were the shortest. Were the shortest matches on the card, yeah. Um, um, it, like, to be honest, it would go on to still be an afterthought, but not, like, overtly sexist. So we're sort of in the worst stage of it. And, like, it's so weird, because when you compare it to the SummerSlam from 10 years before, which we did a couple of weeks ago, and like how that match like a match. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were gonna carry on. Um Yeah <laughs> no, it's just well too fair, I guess it's because they weren't hiring Joshis at this point. But yeah, it's weird it's weird when you think like ten years ago they were actually trying to build a division however short lived it was. Right whereas now was John Laurinaitis looking through um swimsuit. Thing. Like, and you never hear a good story about women's wrestling from around this time, do you? 
No, and it's unfortunate because they did have talented women. You've got Molly Holly, you've got Victoria who could wrestle, you know, you've got Trish Stratus, you've got Lita. Trish Stratus, you know, was getting considerably better. She was improving every time she was oh, in yeah, the ring. Like if you, I remember, I haven't watched the show in a while, but um, the Survivor Series match um, between these two was much better. Yeah, far better. Uh, far better. Know, they, they did have weapons to fall back on, but also, like, they're both proven to be wrestlers. And the story to this match was a bit weird, wasn't it? Uh, basically, Victoria come out after after losing a triple threat in which um, Stratus had defeated Molly and Victoria to take to retain the title. Victoria yeah. come out and basically said that Trish had slept her way to the top of the fitness industry, and everyone <laughs> just went, "What?" I'm, I'm, I'm I hear that. It's like it's a fitness industry. Doesn't everyone do that regardless of gender? I mean, if you're offered sex, you don't say no, do you? I mean, it depends. Well, well, yeah, that is true. Depends who's offering. If fucking Mae Young came up to me, I'd be like, "No, wait, you're dead. Leave me alone." (laughs) Um, I mean, we have we've already discussed, you know, Trish Stratus's immaculate backstage uh, reputation. But yeah, I I agree with you. It's just it's it's an unfortunate time to be watching women's wrestling. I was really sad that Victoria didn't have her lose my mind um, song because I remember quite liking that song. It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> what? Don't worry, I I have a cold. All right, you are. It's the fact that you knew none of the words. Right. <laughs> like, lose my mind. No. <laughs> I think she, she wouldn't get it till like Mania that year because I don't remember having that Survivor Series one either. And then eventually she just abducts Stephen Richards or something. I think I preferred it when you didn't know the words. <laughs> Anyway, Chris, do you remember that really weird brief time in 2000 when Rikishi was a main eventer? Um, yes, but also we haven't rated this match yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, three, maybe? Three stars? I'm inclined for the two just because Trish almost died. That is fine by me. Two stars. So, yeah, as I was saying, Chris, do you remember that time in 2000 when Rikishi was inexplicably a main eventer? No, I was free. Okay, well, in 2000, d- after running over Stone Cold Steve Austin with a car, Rikishi was thrust into the main event scene because what they thought was, WWE Creative, what makes a great heel? How about a fat man in a nappy who dances to music wearing two small sunglasses? And Being everyone fair. went, what? So basically, <laughs> the main event of Armageddon was a six-man Hell in a Cell match. Now, I want you to try and listen for the odd man out, if you can. All right. Kurt Angle, who uh-huh. was the champion at the time and would retain. No, I remember this match because he came out halfway through. Yeah. Um, the entrances were just weird. But anyway, go on. <laughs> the Rock. Yeah. Um, Triple H. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. The Undertaker. Uh-huh. Rikishi. Undertaker because he has never starred in a WWE Studios production. I mean, that is a very, <laughs> very good... That's very good. I mean, also Rikishi hasn't, so... <laughs> it was a really bad thing. Where I, was, I was racking my brain to fi- try and pick someone else. <laughs> Just baffling. He was thrust into the main event, and he's remembered for being thrown into a dump truck full of sawdust that was well, miraculously I, part I, of so- it. I didn't make it through this match because it was pretty horrifically like annoying. Why was that there? Um, 
I believe Vince had arrived in it for some reason. What? Oh, no, the storyline was that Vince, he hadn't booked the match and he was trying to get it cancelled, the match, because ultimately, you know, everyone was going to die. Because it was because <laughs> basically just and it was it was the bloodiest thing. It was ridiculous. Um, anyway, so Vince arrives in a truck to try and pull the cage down. Obviously, gets. Imagine if he succeeded, like, but murdering like the first ten rows. Exactly, which is far worse than losing your six top, st- well, five top stars and Rikishi. Um, just baffling. But anyway, Rikishi is at was, the world. Was was this at Armageddon? Armageddon 2000, yeah. It's, that's why it's called a fucking Armageddon Hell in a Cell match in every fucking WWE game since. Probably. Ah, oh, fuck's sake. Anyway, go on. Uh, Rikishi <laughs> was at the world where he was recanting how he almost died because that was just, his one claim to fame. I'm super surprised the world was still around in 2006. I don't know when it closed. When did it close? I'm going to look that up. Okay, I'll introduce the next match. So, the main event then was for the WWE Undisputed Championship, and that had Brock Lesnar, the champion, retaining over The Undertaker in 27 minutes and 18 seconds inside Hell in a Cell after an F5. Okay, it became defunct in April of 2003. So, literally six months later. Some amazing skits came from the world, though, didn't it? Oh, the the world was underrated. Like the one where um, a little kid was struggling to get get something on the claw machine, and Kane just punched it open and gave it to him. <laughs> I'd forgot about that. Kane, he's an advocate for children. Do you prefer the world or Pastamania? Here's the thing: the world doesn't involve Hulk Hogan. True story. You are a massive hater of Hulk Hogan. I forgot about Cause, that. Because, like, he's oh, okay. It's not shit. We'll get. But we'll have this debate when we finally do a WCW show with Hogan on it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. This match then, obviously they'd had a match at Unforgiven which had ended in a double DQ. This was then put into Hell in a Cell which Stephanie had announced after Brock Lesnar had attempted to murder The Undertaker with a propane so, canister. Undertaker, so on the, go on. On the lead up to this match, Lesnar was trying to get into Undertaker's head. And this is the point where Undertaker wasn't a spooky demon boy, so it was... Easier than you'd think. Working. <laughs> no, you know what he did to get into his head? Put him in the matches with Matt Hardy and kept interfering so Matt Hardy would win. And then Matt Hardy came out and was like, oh, yes, Matt Hardy, version one, and I'm going to... I've I'm, been the Undertaker, and he was looking away from the Titantron, and then the Titantron Undertaker coming to beat him up. But he couldn't see it, see it, and it was like the best thing I've ever seen with Matt Hardy. And he was like, "Undertaker's not coming out here because he's scared." Boom, boom, dead man walking comes out, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no!" <laughs> Undertaker proceeds to beat the shit out of Matt Hardy, which is unfortunate. Like, but like that's how he got the broken hand because he was going to punch Matt Hardy, but Matt Hardy moved out of the way because it was it wasn't broken at that point. But Matt Hardy, the next week, Matt Hardy moved out of the way of a punch hits the ring apron and that's how he got the broken hand yes but like i don't think they wanted matt hardy anywhere near the <laughs> promo package so we just moved that out which is a shame mm, yeah I'd, I'd argue that's probably a, the best i'd argue it's that's probably the best it's matt hardy just low-key the best hardy like people always think jeff but like matt hardy's just objectively better 
Um, less drunk. I can... Well, not really. Well, have you seen, uh... have you seen the WWE twenty four on the Hardy? No, I haven't. It's really good. I'd recommend it. Like they go really like personal, and we actually like have TNA footage and all that. It's like that brief period where TNA and WWE were working together. Well, they had to for the Kurt Angle stuff. Well, yeah, and also the well, yeah, mostly the Kurt Angle stuff. I'm the Nigel McGuinness stuff to be fair. This match, then, Chris. Yeah. Four one one Mania says it's a solid effort that suffered from gaps in psychology and logic that held it back. The whole, or one of it's, the main things in this match... Is this Lesnar, Lesnar versus Undertaker or Dragon Gate main event? <laughs> is the Undertaker's broken hand? Yeah. Now, the only thing, the only time it's used is when Brock Lesnar rips off the cast. Yes. But nothing else is done about it. No, exactly. And, like, early in the match, he was, like, teasing a punch with it. But then when he finally, realised he was finally over the punch, he elbowed him. I'm like... What? <laughs> I mean, 411 Mania carries on to say, all they had to do was a spot where Taker was unable to do the choke slam or couldn't de- deliver a soup bone because of the injury. Instead, it was move, sell, move, sell, move, forget to sell. The match was appropriately violent, though. Now, I do agree with the hand. So much was made of it going into this with Brock saying, I don't want him bringing that cast into the Hell in a Cell, you said no weapons. And, you know, with Undertaker saying, right, you're going to have to inject me because I, I-, I need to get through the pain. I just don't feel like it was sold enough. I feel with a little bit more selling, a little bit more in-ring psychology, it it would have improved this entire match exponentially. That's not saying this wasn't a good match. Fucking hell, it was violent. Is this their best match together? Oh, uh, their Hell in a Cell match in 2015 15. was pretty good. The thing is, it's... This story was implanted into that match. It would have worked better because Brock had the Kimura at that point. That would have been. It. You just needed just a little spot with Brock Lesnar targeting that hand for an extended amount of time, and it really affecting Undertaker. This used to be the complaint about Will Ospreay, where people would target his knee, target his knee, target his knee, but then he'd hit the pip pip cheerio and be doing somersaults and shit. Yeah, no, that's exactly. the issue that we had. Now again. As that review said, it just needed one. Just one spot where he tries to get him up and just can't. He tries to old school, but just can't. He attempts to lift Brock Lesnar up to throw him into the side of the cage. He can't. Tries to climb the cage. Got just something. A little bit would have been fantastic. Because Brock Lesnar's, what, a year and a half, two years into training at this point? Um, like, he's an exception of where he is. Yeah. I mean, 2002 was the year of Lesnar. Just one King of the Ring. He dethrone the rock at SummerSlam. Yeah, they would um, they he were retired putting... Hulk Hogan, which is the personal best bit. Exactly. He had put at they they had put all their stock in Brock Lesnar. But to be fair, Lesnar had basically everything but the promo, but then you had Paul Heyman. So but to be fair, he wasn't bad on the microphone. Look at his feud with Eddie Guerrero. Okay, yeah, but I was like two years later though. But even so, he'd still got the thing here. He doesn't need to have a promo because he was intimidating as fuck. Oh, no, exactly. As soon as he starts talking, it's like, no, like, give me Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. Goldberg! Like, as soon as he starts talking, or nowadays squawking, um, he just does lose a bit of credibility. So, like, because he has a weirdly meek voice. For someone who's so big and meek. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you see. 
like a really small guy and he has a really bassy voice. You know, it's like, it's like when you see Tom Jones. I see Tom Jones and expect someone to sound like my granddad, like a nice northern lad, and then he's just like this really deep voice. It's like, oh, <laughs> hello, Mr. Jones. <laughs> cannot, we cannot believe we've mentioned Tom Jones in the Hell in a Cell match between Brock Lesnar and Taker. Um, now, the Wrestling Observer gave this four out of five. Um, I think the lack of in-ring psychology certainly affected the match, but that didn't stop my enjoyment of it... This was an amazing cast match. Yeah. It was a brutal match. Literally. They knocked lumps out of each other. Yeah. There was no wrestling moves for the first 10 minutes of this. They just used the cage to beat the living shit out of each other. You know, using the side of the cage, using the steps. You know, at one point, Brock Lesnar literally, a la Braun Strowman launching the chair at Roman Reigns, just lobs... The stairs at Undertaker yeah. twice. We weigh four hundred pounds, don't you know? Four thousand pounds. Um, no, exactly. Um, like both men gave as good as they took. Takers took some pretty gnarly bumps into the cage itself. It's like, just, it's great. It, it's a really, really good like, match. We can't, we can't, event. we can't call it because there's like no like big spots. It was just two big men knocking lumps at each other. It's like. If Stan Hansen took on a bear, is Brock Lesnar the bear? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, I thought. I thought so. <laughs> I mean, you asked me if it was their best match together. I would say it's definitely between. I would say this is probably the best match, and then Hell in a Cell 2015. Just. But to be fair, they were what 13 years older at that point. Exactly. You know, Brock Lesnar certainly got a lot more in ring. You know, he's more of an in ring general by then, and that was before just Suplex City took over. Um, oh yeah, that that was pretty bad. I mean, <sighs> I've given it eight stars. I've knocked it two down because of obviously the logic and the gap in psychology, which I mentioned earlier. But I don't think that should affect people from realizing that it is a fantastic match. Honestly, if it didn't have that story bit, but it might be knocked. It would probably be knocked up to like a nine. But like that story bit does know, like you don't set something up and do nothing with it. Exactly. Like, they spent Im- too much time the- on it. Imagine if we had the beginning of this podcast when we have an amazing giveaway at the end and then never bring it up again. It's the kind of thing we do, to be fair. To be fair, if I, if we, our audience retention is awful, quick, what should we do? And it's like, <laughs> well, the worst part, that would definitely be a gaff suggestion. And it's something I raise one bad concern about. And then like, when you do seem so excited, I'm just like, okay, I'll stay quiet. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that's... In a nutshell, No Mercy 2002. Overall, a decent pay-per-view. I mean, it's carried by the main event and the tag team match. But, you know, there's a you know there's a couple of decent undercard matches. You've got Jamie Noble and Tajiri. The opening tag was okay. It's, you know, it's a charismatic opener. But if you're going out of your way to watch this pay-per-view, watch the tag team championship match between Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Edge and Rey Mysterio, and watch the main event between Taker and Brock Lesnar. Really, really good matches. Now, talking about us in future, um, next week we are back to our top 10 list, and next week it is the top 10 best TNA and Impact talents ever. It's going to be an interesting list. We need to set out some ground rules for that. (laughs) We'll talk about the logistics. It was, it was just people who appeared in Impact. 
I think it's probably people that did their majority of their work in Impact. Because if you say Okada, I will slap you silly. <laughs> well, I was going to say Nakamura because he's turned up. Um, Marifuji's turned up if you want to get smarky about it. Um, Laredo kid. Such a fucking smark. Right, okay. I know half of this shit because Garth brought it up, weirdly enough. He was talking about it on another thing. Oh, he's he's like, a smart too. No, literally, he he was like, Chris, you know this Marafuji guy? I'm like, yeah, it's like, he turned up an Impact once. I have no fucking clue who he is. <laughs> an Impact. Used him terribly and he never turned up again. No, it's a, it's a case of a Noah partnership. He had to turn up. What I do love, though, is that guy heard a Japanese name. It's like, well, Chris will probably know who it is. <laughs> is it Joshi? Chris will know. Um, I don't like this reputation I've got. Also, I'm annoyed at start. I'm quite annoyed at Sardom right now, but I'm going to drag on the point. Um, as for our next retro pay per view review, we're going with a different theme. We are looking at things out of our comfort zone. So obviously, things that we don't usually watch. Um, well, things out of our individual comfort zones. When you guys, yeah, and then you guys both on it. Exactly. So, so like, for example, what I'm picking, I'm pretty sure, is something from Garth Chowder. <laughs> Garth Chowder. It was probably while Garth was like a middle aged man. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure you're picking something but it's just my jam just your jam, just your jam but wait and see, that will be out on Twitter in the next couple of days obviously this weekend you have got All Out NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff and you've also got Royal Quest, keep an eye out for our predictions, they will be up on Twitter by Friday I'm so annoyed that Royal Quest isn't on New Japan World <laughs> everyone is, don't worry it is out in September though so it could be you know, two days, three days so we can watch it then. Don't don't worry. Oh, chill. oh if you're going to watch wrestling, is will probably be up there within like a couple of hours of it finishing. But we don't. Don't tell any. That. Don't tell anyone I said that. But also, it won't cost you six quid. There you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at, at real Rob Goodwin. Chris, where can they find you? At Candy Chris ninety seven. No, I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to mock you for it. <laughs> I'm not going to mock you for it. But the fact is that you think I'm not going to mock you for it is a form of mocking me. Absolutely. <laughs> what you're saying is I, you deserve to be mocked, but I'm not going to do it. You're trying to get bullshit nice points, Rob, and I'm not going to allow it. <laughs> it's somehow more cunty than just mocking me for it. <laughs> Don't forget to check out the website, guys, at www.podmania.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast on literally any podcast platform you can think of. We are there. We're like a bad skin rash. And you can check out all our match ratings on the website. We've got them all categorized in nice, neat, and organized form, including our review and ratings of No Mercy 2002. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we will talk to you guys again soon. You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans. Wrestling fans.